You're listening to the Westminster Pulpit, an online ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at www.westbca.com. Please turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. What do you love? Many of us love the things that we can buy. Food, clothing, furniture, books. Others of us love the things that we can see. A beautiful sunset, a smiling face. We love the approval of others. Attention. Many of us love the things that we can do, playing games, sports, playing music, performing on stage. It seems that God has given us an almost limitless capacity to love people, things, experiences, and everything under the sun. But our scripture passage tonight warns us not to love the world. For this world is not our home. We were made for another. Everything in this world will pass away. So we must be wise to live for and love that which endures forever. And so if you would seek a heart of wisdom, I invite you to listen as I read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. John writes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Father, you have called us out of the world. We are not of the world even while we still live in the world and while we remain. You call us to love you and to follow you and not love the things of the world, but to love that which lasts and endures for eternity. Give us insight, give us wisdom and grace to heed what your scriptures teach us tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite children's stories is Pinocchio. Many of you recall the Disney version, the Disney classic. The story in which a young, elderly gentleman, a toy maker named Geppetto fashions a wooden boy and wishes upon a star is granted his wish and that wooden puppet becomes alive and yet not yet a real boy. Geppetto invests in his son and as a good father does, he sends Pinocchio off to school. But Pinocchio unfortunately never makes it to school. He is sidetracked by scoundrels 
to send him off in another direction, to perform on stage, and he's a wonderful success until he finds himself trapped by the greedy, miserly Stromboli, the puppet master. While caged in Stromboli's coach, Pinocchio is rescued by the Blue Fairy, who sets him free and sends him off to reform his ways. But unfortunately, Pinocchio falls into trouble again. This time he is swindled, selling his school books, that he might buy a ticket to Pleasure Island, that infamous place where there are no rules, where little boys can do everything that their parents and adults forbid them to do, gambling, lying, stealing, vandalizing, cussing, drinking, smoking, and fighting. Well, unbeknownst to Pinocchio and his fellow revelers, a terrible curse has fallen on Pleasure Island. And all of these disobedient boys are transformed into donkeys. Well, only the heroic efforts of Pinocchio's true friend, Jiminy Cricket, enables him to escape Pleasure Island and to go on to other adventures without even rescue his father Geppetto from his own perils. The story of Pinocchio reminds us a lot of one of Jesus' most famous stories, the prodigal son. Both Pinocchio and the prodigal teach us of the dangers of loving the world. Pinocchio and the prodigal both foolishly trade away the love of their fathers for the love of the world. And they get what the world has to offer. Misery. Abuse. Lies. Poverty. Loneliness and despair. Each of these men, yielding to the lust of the flesh, the roving of the eyes, following after their pride, turn into donkeys. Beastly creatures, empty and slaved to the things of this world. Nothing in this world endures. Only the Father's love. And everything the Father has to offer endures forever. In our fallen world, we find ourselves tempted to satisfy the desires of our souls with what the world has to offer. However, we must subdue the flesh, that we might find our heart's greatest delight and joy in the Father's love. Tonight, firstly, we must recognize this competing allegiance between loving the world and the love of the Father. Well, firstly, what is the world? Well, the world in the Greek has has many meanings, just like it does in English. It can mean the entire universe. It can mean the life we live here on earth. But here, as it often does in the writings of John, it refers to fallen humanity in hostility and rebellion against God. The world is that evil system that corrupts everything 
good that God has made. Why, may we ask, is loving the world wrong? Cannot we enjoy the good things that God has given to us? Certainly, there are many wonderful things that have been made for our pleasure to meet the needs of our welfare. And yet, the warning here is to love that which competes for our allegiance to the Father. Does not John 3, 16 to 17 tell us that it was God who loved the world, even so much that he sent his one and only Son, that you and I may not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus was sent not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Yes, indeed, God loves the world. But just as there's a difference in meaning to the word world, so there's a difference in meaning to the word love. God's love for the world is a redemptive love. John is not, certainly not condemning this kind of love. Rather, it's not a holy love of redemption, but a selfish love love of participation that he commands against. Suppose you make friends with an unbeliever, and this new friend likes to do rotten things, lie, cheat, and steal. Do you participate in those things with this friend out of love for that friend? Young people, if you're out with a group and The group wants to go vandalizing someone's property or pick upon the weaker members of the group. Perhaps the group likes to gossip about other people, ridicule their teachers, their pastor, their parents behind their backs. To engage in such behavior would be selfish love of participation. James Four, verse 4 asks us, Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The friends that you keep, the person that you marry, even the movies you watch and the books that you read, all of these friends are either strengthening your allegiance to God or your allegiance to the world. Our allegiance is tested when we begin loving the good things of God more than God himself. Good grades. Musical excellence. Ministry, devotion. When these things are done not for God's glory, but our own vain glory, we are loving the world. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love both the world and God because the two are at enmity with one another. You must choose between the broad path of the world and the narrow path of following after God through Jesus Christ. When confronted by the terrifying invasion of Israel and Israel's God on the doorsteps of her home city, Jericho, Rahab the prostitute 
was faced with a crisis of allegiance. Would she serve the pagan Canaanite deities? Or would she worship the true God of heaven and earth, who had already toppled the greatest empire of the world at that time? She put her pledge of allegiance to the test, deceiving her own king at her own risk, sending the Israelite spies on their way to safety, that she might save herself and her family. James commends her act of faith as righteousness. Hebrews 11 caps off its list of saints of the Old Testament with the story of Rahab. Rahab did not love the world, but chose rather the love of the Father. And so became an heir of righteousness and even a great grandmother of the one who would be her righteousness, the Lord Jesus himself. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted him alone for your salvation, you belong to him and not to the world. Paul writes in Colossians 2, you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have been set apart from the world and its desires. Paul writes elsewhere, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So if we belong to Christ, we are no longer of the world. It must not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and hearts. You see, the world would mold us into its image. And you and I must resist its clutches, having been set free of its tyranny, to live in the presence and the joy of the Father's love. Well, what are the characteristics of loving the world? Well, in King James' fashion, we are told of this trinity of vice, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of of life, the cravings of sinful man, as the NIV translates it, refers to our internal temptations. The world offers us all kinds of material temptations from without. The devil offers us all kinds of supernatural temptations from without and within. The flesh is that corruption within that leads us into temptation. My wife and I recently welcomed home a new baby boy. And I've enjoyed watching this little boy express his instinctive desires to be held, to be fed, to be warm. Certainly these desires are good and right, made by God. And that child seems so sweet and innocent. How could there be any corruption in a newborn infant? But you and I know biblically and from experience that those infant cravings are yet tainted by the sinful flesh. It doesn't take a baby long to learn to cry with a demanding spirit. And good parents 
while indulging their infant children first, grow wisely weaning their children off of immediate gratification. The cravings of sinful flesh must be tamed. What do we crave? I would say in our household, we crave cereal. My children and I love cereal. It's very hard to keep enough cereal and milk in a household filled with children. You know, people young and old get grumpy, selfish, and demanding when you run out of the food you like. When the food arrives late, when it's overcooked, when we don't get our way how we want it, when we want it, whether it's food, entertainment, where we sit in the car, where we sit even at church. The cravings of our flesh desire gratification and preeminence. And we want it now. Well, in contrast with the temptations from within, the lust of the eyes are those temptations from without. Eve was tempted in the garden by the devil with the forbidden fruit which was pleasing to the eye and good for food. With his eyes, Achan coveted a beautiful robe of Babylon in the city of Jericho. And so brought God's judgment upon the people of Israel in defeat before the men of Ai. Lust is wanting God's good gifts in a forbidden way. Lust is wanting things on our own terms, rather than God's terms. We lust after beautiful things. We lust after expensive things, things that make us look good, things that other people have, things that other people don't have. We lust after people, things we see on TV, at the mall, on the internet, even in our own hearts, reviewing past images of things that we crave. Jesus warned that if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and cast it away. Better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to be cast into hell with two eyes. Now, we don't believe Jesus was speaking of mutilation but warning us with gravity of the need to keep our eyes and our hearts pure. My oldest son and I both wear prescription glasses to keep our eyes focused properly. I have a daughter who has gone through multiple surgeries to correct her vision so that she can focus on the things in this world accurately. As a Christian... You and I have a focusing power. By keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, only the beauty of his love and sacrifice enables us to overcome the lustful affections of our hearts that crave after those empty nothings of this world. These things will perish. But the satisfaction 
of the Father's love endures forever. The third characteristic of loving the world is the mother of all sins, pride. Pride is lust for self-importance. Pride is craving and demanding the attention and the approval of others. Triumphant pride leads to self-congratulations. Broken pride falls into self-pity. Pride refuses to admit wrong. Pride blinds us to our sin and to our need for Christ. In our pride, we create our own saviors. Here, John refers to the pride of life. And the word life is not the word for principial life. It's the life of the concrete here and now. It can be best expressed material possessions. Jesus illustrates with the parable of the sower, the seed that fell among the thorns, which grew up and was choked by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. See, pride tries to feed us, tries to draw life from the stuff of this world, and yet chokes us from drawing true life from our Maker and our Redeemer. We live in a day and age of great boasting. Sports figures and professional athletes boast of their great powers in the ring and on the field. Many celebrities and the wealthy boast of their lavish and luxurious lifestyles. Many proud boasters have been humbled by recent economic circumstances. And yet we boast in our pride, whether it's our religion, morality, our education, our own families. But as a Christian, we, only have, we have one and only one worthy boast to take from the words of Jeremiah. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. You and I boast in the greatness of our God. The one legitimate, worthy boast is in the glory of the greatness and the wonder of our Creator God and Redeemer. That His name might be exalted. And in beautiful God fashion, it is God who makes our name great. It was God who promised to make Abraham's name great and to make us through him, to make us through him whose name is above every name, to be a kingdom of priests, to be triumphant over the world, that we may boast in the way Paul boasted in Galatians 6. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Well, lastly, do not love the world. 
for the world and its desires pass away. The world will wear out like a garment. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We have learned this all too well in recent times. During this current economic crisis where we've seen trillions of dollars literally evaporate in a matter of months. History has proven over and over that kingdoms rise and fall. The great institutions that our parents and grandparents' generation have built up to provide and care for us from cradle to grave are cracking and crumbling before us. Do not trust them. The government cannot save you. Invest in that which lasts, the kingdom of God. Making disciples, raising up children to follow after Christ and to give it away. Your love and your wealth for the glory of God. Those who love the world be washed away like the men during the days of Noah in the great flood. But he who does the will of God endures forever. Doing God's will requires love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command you. Only those who abide in Christ will bear fruit that lasts. That which is done in the flesh will rot. Peter writes in his epistle, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, nor spoil or fade away, kept in heaven for you. We have a sure inheritance that no economic turmoil can ever take away from us. Do not love the world, for the world does not love you. In fact, Jesus said the world will hate you because of him. The world is a parasite that feeds on us and spits us out when it is done with us. We must overcome its clutches, overcome worldliness. Perhaps we follow the example of the martyrs from Revelation 12, who overcame the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Only by the blood of Christ. May we overcome the world and persevere in godliness. In Christ, we die to self. You and I live as dead men. Our lives are forfeit, and we are no longer the world's debtors. In Christ, we condemn the world and its idolatries. And only he who hates the world out of love for God, can truly benefit the world in love.
a boy of 16, was keeping the family sheep off the coast of Wales. When raiders came in from the shore and took him captive, making him a slave in their far-off land. For six years, the boy toiled and was deprived of the affection of his family. His freedom was denied him as he served the will of a hostile people. Yet, in good time in God's providence, the young man was given opportunity to return to his home and be reunited to his family. We can only imagine the contempt in his heart towards his captors who had robbed him of those years of his youth. And yet, it was a vision of God. And the grace of Christ that compelled him to return to this dark land to preach the gospel. And there he dwelt among the godless heathen the rest of his life, converting untold numbers to Christ. We will remember the deeds of this man on St. Patrick's Day, in two days' time from now. His hatred of the land of his captivity was overcome by the redemptive love of God who intended to save them. Patrick did not love his homeland enough to resist that vision, to yield his will to serve the one who had saved him. And you and I enjoy the fruit of his labors as generations of missionaries and church planters spread out across Scotland and Britain and the European mainland. And the rest is history. Only those who refuse to love the world on its terms can truly love the world on God's terms. Only as we die to self do we truly live in Christ. And hear the words of missionary Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Friends, do not love the world. For the world and his desires pass away. The man who does the will of God endures forever. Let us pray. Father, we give you praise for you have loved the world. You have sent your Son to save the world, to redeem us from our bondage. You have called us out of the world. Yet to be in the world, but not of the world, help us to be your faithful witnesses in the world, to not love the world, to not participate in its cravings and sinful desires, and yet, out of your love, to be your redemptive agents, that Christ might be exalted, that many may come to know him. For the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.